from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. While there hasn't necessarily been bad relationships between city and county in the past, this feels like there might be a new era just when it comes to cooperation on that front. I think that's right, and I think that they've been very public about that in meeting and uh, talking together in the endorsements. And so I think that has some people feeling hopeful. The defund the police should maybe be more of a call for um, retrain the police. Whatever defund the police means, it really means refund the community and invest in these proactive measures so that we don't have to continue to react to violence, that we can prevent it from the start by supporting our youth and making sure they're growing up in an environment that has them feeling hope for the future. Erin, you say you work in this space. Have you seen an effort or initiative where you'd say, you know what, this is exactly the kind of thing I'd like to see St. Louis invest more in? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, the the fact that they are uh, partnering with mental health professionals in the city with the police right now, I think, is a good step. I'm Sarah Fenske. It was two years ago this week that the indictment of St. Louis County Executive Steve Stenger set off a row of dominoes in county leadership and scuttled the Better Together initiative to merge city and county. That move would have extended Stenger's term until 2025. Now, instead of Metro Mayor Stenger, we have a much-changed landscape. Last week, the city's first black mayor in more than 20 years took office at St. Louis City Hall. In some ways, her inauguration represents the true end of the Francis Slay era. His voting coalition also powered Lyda Cruz into victory. Now the consultants and donors who propelled those campaigns and Stenger's are sidelined in both city and county. So what should the region's new agenda be? Well, we want to hear your thoughts on that, and we're going to open up our phone lines. First up, though, my guest today is Anita Mannion. She's an assistant professor of political science at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, and I'm thrilled that she's back with us today to talk about all this. So, Anita, welcome. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So, Anita, do you think that diagnosis is correct? Is it fair to say this really is a new era in St. Louis? I do think it is. If you look at, you know, like you said, the Francis Slay, Lida Cruz and Steve Stenger voting coalitions and positions, it's much different than what we see now. And I think this change has been happening over the past several years. We saw the election of Wesley Bell and Cori Bush, who both were anti-establishment candidates who upset longtime incumbents against big odds. Mm. And then we've seen that continue with the historic election of Mayor Tashara Jones and a more progressive board of aldermen. It's interesting. And on top of all these changes in local leadership, we also now have a Democrat in the White House again. Do you think this is going to be something that has a big effect on how things work here in the St. Louis region? Well, one immediate impact we're seeing from the Democrats in Congress and in the White House is the big influx of federal funding that St. Louis City and County are going to get. Mm -hmm. I think that that's definitely going to be an influence. I think that we see, you know, our representatives like Cori Bush really, you know, introducing or co-sponsoring 98 bills in her first 100 days and really trying to put St. Louis in the forefront. So I do think what's happening at the federal level is also affecting St. Louis. It's interesting, this, this old coalition, 
nation that did have power in a lot of places for a while. It, it feels like now that they're moving on and some of these new people are moving in, there seems to be a big shot of energy. And I'm not sure how much of that is just that that they're coming in and saying, I'm bringing a lot of energy to it. Or if there really is sort of a, a dose of, of adrenaline going into St. Louis politics. Do you have any sense of that? I do think there is a real grassroots energy and that when um, folks saw their efforts pay off in elections like Cori Bush's election and then in Tashara Jones, there is a real energy there that I think the force of it surprised many people. And I think many St. Louisans are excited about those changes in leadership, about this influx of federal funding and what could happen with that, potential with Medicaid expansion, opportunities to improve the criminal justice system, and hopefully better regional cooperation. Hmm. So those are all some priorities that we're hearing people discuss. We want to hear from you now. What is tops on your agenda for the St. Louis region as we enter this new era? And if you don't have any big picture plans, you can still give us a call. We're also curious your thoughts on one seemingly small quality of life change that you feel like could have a big impact here in St. Louis. We're not just talking about the city. We want to know people living across the region, their thoughts on these questions. You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air, or you can email us at talk at STLPR. Org. Anita, I want to talk a little bit about the elephant in the room here um, in local politics and, and maybe also in national politics, and that's these increasingly loud calls to defund police. In the city, this seems to be an especially um, hot topic right now, the idea that maybe we could cut back overtime, put that money to other priorities. Do you think that's a distraction for local leaders, or do you think that's at the heart of the debate that this new era needs to get into? I think that uh, questions around policing and criminal justice reform are at the heart of what Tashara Jones and Corey Bush and Wesley Bell and others have ran on. And I think it's a big part of what has uh, energized that grassroots movement. We do know that 2020 marked the city's highest homicide rate on record with more than 260 killings, which is a major concern. And I think there's concern from both sides on that issue, but there's uh, different thoughts about how we might address that. So is the solution to have more police and invest more into policing? Or is it to, as the sort of defund the police movement would suggest, to reinvest those resources into things that could help prevent crime at its root? Uh, and so one of their suggestions is to take those over overtime funds that the police have been using and also vacant positions and reinvest that money in other resources. Do you think that phrase, defund the police, is so loaded that that's a distraction, even if the topic has to be front and center? Does it almost need a rebranding, maybe, to, to get buy-in from a broader coalition? I think that's a fair assessment. Certainly that phrase has been weaponized and even liberals have identified some challenges with that phrasing of defund the police. I think when, it's sort of like uh, Obamacare. When people heard the title, there might be resistance. But when people hear some of the principles, they're more accepting. So reallocating some of those resources to social workers, mental health professionals and others to respond to these issues rather than just law enforcement. Yeah, that, that idea seems much more popular than the phrase itself. That's right. So this crime problem, as you mentioned, 2020, it was, it was a huge problem in the city. I mean, the homicide rate out of control. Do you think a Mayor Jones or even looking at County Executive Sam Page, do you think they can get reelected without showing a big reduction in crime with levels this high? 
That is a good question. I think one that's probably on both of their minds. It is hard to immediately reduce crime rates when we know that um, the underlying components that contribute to crime are long held and invested in our region. So it's not something that's easy to fix, but I do think they need to show that they're taking strides to address those issues if they hope to be reelected. We got a voicemail from Alex. Um, We were asking him, you know, we put out the call on Friday saying, we're going to talk about this. Phone lines are going to be open. Uh, What's your agenda for the St. Louis region? Here's what Alex had to say. I just wanted to add that I really think that there needs to be some sort of unity between the local governments in between St. Louis and Kansas City. Uh, If we're ever going to overcome the Trumpism that's rampant in Missouri politics, it has to happen. We have to find some sort of progressive agenda to attract younger people. Corporations aren't going to want to come here if there are such horrible things as trying to ban transgender youth in sports or preventing the voters from having Medicaid that they voted for. It's unbelievably ridiculous what the Republican Party has come to in Missouri. And if things are ever going to change in St. Louis, we have to find a way to come together. And that voicemail is from Alex with his thoughts on what needs to be on the agenda here. We want to encourage you. Our phone lines are open. You can give us a call, 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also tweet us at STL on air. Let us know your thoughts. He's talking about how we need to come together because as a region, um, we're dealing with a state that's not on the same page. I'd, I'd love your thoughts on that, Anita. Yeah, you you know this immediately if you look at an election map. You have a big red state with three blue dots of uh, St. Louis, Kansas City, and Columbia. But those are also the population centers. So there's a big push and pull in that rural-urban divide. And I think one of the manifestations of that is what we're seeing with the efforts to avoid funding Medicaid expansion, which was passed statewide with 53%. But now we see this you know, big battle in the state legislature over funding that initiative. And uh, the stated objection by many of those state legislators is that their rural district voted against this and doesn't support it. So that's the level of division that we are seeing in our state. Um, Mayor Jones ran on a platform of collaboration and touted her relationships with the leaders in St. Louis County and Kansas City. And she and, you know, Sam Page endorsed, endorsed her and they seem to have a strong working relationship. We may end up talking a little bit about ideas with St. Louis City and County merger, but even stepping back from that, you don't have to have a whole scale merger to have better cooperation in the region. Mm -hmm. And there are discussions about things like uh, public safety services. So how could the city and county police officers work better to improve safety in both areas? Because it's not like there's a wall between the city and county um, that prevents things like COVID-19 from spreading or crime from happening. So better collaboration there could benefit the whole region. That's a good point. And it does seem like um, there's genuinely some some points in, in common and a good working relationship between County Executive Page and Mayor Tashara Jones. Feels like while there hasn't necessarily been bad relationships between city and county in the past, this feels like there might be a, a new era just when it comes to cooperation on that front. 
I think that's right. And I think that they've been very public about that in meeting and uh, talking together and the endorsements. And so I think that has some people feeling hopeful that there can be better collaboration. We heard from a number of listeners on social media who were interested in where the Board of Freeholders process stands. Philip writes on Facebook, I would like to see the city and county act together where it benefits the region and its citizens. I think the Board of Freeholders is a means for these two entities to work together. So fingers crossed that one of them is willing to hit the reset button. Anita, I don't know about you. I had to go back and research what happened to the Board of Freeholders. It seemed like this was such a discussion more than a year ago. It was pre-COVID. People were kind of hoping that out of the ashes of Better Together that there could be this process that citizens started with a petition drive where county and city would explore some additional cooperation. It wasn't exactly clear what form that would take. Was that a lost opportunity when that all fizzled two years ago? It was. I think in many ways, uh, people were very supportive and excited about that. Um, The Better Together process, many criticized. They felt that it wasn't very transparent and that uh, a lot of uh, constituents were left out of that process. And then there were the concerns about a statewide vote that um, would make determinations over local rule. And so after that fizzled, there was energy behind this Board of Freeholders process. But then there were problems getting approval of appointees and uh, you know working between Mayor Krusen and the Board of Aldermen. And ultimately, when they tried to get back uh, the appointees and get that up and running, then the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Mm. And so it that contributed to that process being derailed as well. But I know that Sam Page has expressed interest in restarting that process. There would be some questions about what the time frame was, so what the actual procedure would have to be. But I think that's something we could see. Yeah, I went and looked to see, is Tashara Jones on the record, our our St. Louis mayor? And she is on the same page with Sam Page. There was a quote from her spokesman that said she looks forward to asking the city councilor to give a legal opinion on the freeholder situation. So it's interesting, you know, some of the language with that petition drive said they had to submit a plan within one year. That obviously didn't happen. (laughs) But now it sounds like both of them are interested in possibly restarting that. Yeah, I think that's right. And again, the Board of Freeholders wouldn't have to necessarily recommend a wholesale merger, which they could, but they could also recommend different ways that we could better combine services and work together in collaboration for the region. Hmm. Anita, I want to go to the phone lines. We were talking earlier about this idea of defunding the police or taking some of their funding and and putting that elsewhere. We have a caller who's interested in talking about that. Uh, Andrew is calling from St. Louis. Andrew, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you for joining us. Uh, what's your oh, thoughts on this? My my thoughts. So I'm a self-described liberal um, who's lived in St. Louis City for close to 20 years, and I do not support defunding the police. Hmm. My, um, you know, I'm I'm one of these people that's been put on hold many times calling 911 for serious issues, um, and uh, also, you know. Th- there's absolutely zero enforcement of um, of traffic policy, of traffic laws in St. Louis City, and people know it. And people just completely run through stop signs at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour with tags, license plates that have been expired for two years in some cases. I can't go. I can't go out the door without seeing an expired 
license plates. Um, yeah, but, Andrew, you know, I, I can't forward. argue with anything you're saying. As, as a fellow city resident, I've certainly um, experienced that same thing about traffic laws just are not being enforced. And yet, what is all this police overtime going for? I mean, we, we see stats that a lot of uh, murders aren't being solved, and we know the traffic enforcement isn't happening. Are you worried that, you know, we might be throwing more money, good money after bad? Is that the cliche? <laughs> well, you know, yes, of course. And I understand the subtleties of it. And I understand the need for uh, social services and the, the need for, um, you know, uh, a separation between uh, mental health care and, and, and policing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I live in a nice neighborhood in St. Louis City. And, um, but, but, you know, things happen. Mm-hmm. And we need these, we need police officers. And frankly, I think we need more of them. I think that that defund the police should maybe be more of a call for um, retrain the police or create a new subdivision within the police force, which is the, the social social work and mental health training. But also at the same time, um, we need to properly pay police officers and bulk up our police force. Andrew, thank you for sharing those thoughts. Um, and if you're interested in joining this conversation, we do have phone lines open now, 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Anita, we need to take a quick break here. But before we do that, my sense is that what Andrew's saying is that's that's a common uh, perspective within the city. People are saying, hey, you can't go too far with this. We need the police to come when you call 911. That's right. And, you know, I know there's concerns that if cuts are made, those could disproportionately impact the most impoverished and most underserved areas as well. And so a quote unquote nice neighborhood like Andrew lives in may not feel the effects like other neighborhoods. But I think that those in the defund the police, maybe they should call it restructure the police um, campaign. I think they would argue that, you know, the police exceeded their budget of $8 million in overtime by $2.26 million. So they were $2.26 million above that budget. And that those sorts of funds could be better used to, again, address the root causes of crime and inequity rather than more policing. We're talking today to Anita Mannion. She's a political science professor at UMSL. Um, Our phone lines are also open. We're excited to hear your thoughts, and we'll get to some more callers after we take a quick break. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. And now back to our conversation. My guest today is Anita Mannion. She's a professor of political science at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Um, we're already hearing from some of our listeners. I want to go back to the phone lines because Erin is calling from St. Louis uh, with her thoughts on on the region's agenda. Erin, uh, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hey, thank you so much. Um, I was, you know, listening to Andrew's comments, and I, you know, while I understand that those things are, you know, problematic. I think you look at proposed police budgets over the last two years, and I'll, I'll just never forget seeing that they tried to propose this was like a half a million dollar like tank or something to get into their budget. And that just, 
I don't know. It has me really concerned that we're we're really they're focusing too much on reactive measures mm-hmm. instead of proactive measures for for violence prevention. And I work in the area of violence prevention, and I know that we are investing a lot of our time in in youth and making sure that whatever defund the police means, it really means refund the community and invest in these proactive measures so that we don't have to continue to react to violence, that we can prevent it from the start by supporting our youth and making sure they're growing up in an environment that has them feeling hope for the future, which I don't think they're doing right now. Erin, mm-hmm. you say you work in this space. Have you seen an effort or initiative where you'd say, you know what, this is exactly the kind of thing I'd like to see St. Louis invest more in? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, the the fact that they are uh, partnering with mental health professionals in the city with the police right now, I think, is a good step. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that, you know, that partnership will actually flourish, I, I do have worries about because I think there's been some defense on the side of police officers when it comes to bringing in outsiders into the crew. Um, but I do understand that they are short-staffed and underpaid. And I think that that leads to, I mean, when you look at their um, their collective bargaining agreement with the union, they have nothing in there that supports mental health mm-hmm. for police officers. And they're overworked, as you said, $2 million, whatever, over budget. Like, they're overworked and underpaid. And you're seeing these tired people who are experiencing secondhand trauma regularly going back on the streets and, and reacting in ways that they probably shouldn't. And I think that that, that needs to change. Aaron, thank you so much for those thoughts. I appreciate that. Um, Anita, any thoughts on on what Aaron has shared here? I think that she articulated what a lot in the defund the police movement feel, that there are these issues that we're not appropriately addressing. If we see problems in policing, just providing more funds to the same tactics may not be effective. And the Police department budget is about 15% of the city's total spending. So mm-hmm. I think that those in the defund the police camp would say we really need to take a look at those dollars and how we're investing those in our city to both support the police officers who are trying to do an effective job and to find other ways to better support the community. We also heard from Ed. He was calling from Crave Corps, um, and he just wanted to, to pass on this message, not be on the air himself. He asked, why do we have an effort to defund the police and not refund social services? Why do we have to rob Peter to pay Paul? I think that goes to, to what you were just saying, Anita. It is a, a big chunk of the budget. That's right. And with this investment of the Recovery Act funds, there will be an opportunity to invest in social services. Tashara Jones has even looked at things like almost like a universal basic income payment, definite investments in housing. We know that the affordable housing is a real issue in St. Louis and that we could be looking at an eviction crisis as some of those deferments end in the wake of the pandemic. So there's a lot of issues facing St. Louis city and county and the region, including historic and systemic racial inequities that affect health, education, the economy. So there's lots of challenges uh, for the new mayor and the coalition to confront. Our phone lines are now open if you have ideas of what you'd like to see the focus be on. What is one uh, quality of life change that you could see having a big impact for the St. Louis region? Give us a call, 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. We got a message. Brad writes on Facebook, Corey Bush, this is our new congresswoman, has sponsored a bill that includes a provision that would revisit the old, never-finished lead abatement program, make the last remaining landlords remove 
remove the lead-painted windowsills and lead-painted plaster and lead-contaminated soil from their properties and reimburse them with federal funds for doing so. If you look at the State Department of Health's map of where kids live who are testing positive for lead and you compare that map to our homicide map, you'll see that there is literally nothing more important to this region than finishing our lead cleanup. Anita, I got to say I'm pretty persuaded by Brad's case right there. You know, it came out in the late 70s, and we've continued to see it. The real hazardous effects of lead paint um, and how they've affected children and their quality of life, their IQ, language function, so many different things. So certainly there are real concerns there. And Representative Bush has uh, proposed a Green New Deal for cities. So this would be a trillion dollars in spending over the next four years towards environmental justice, but looking more at the state and local level. And so giving those money, she cited the example of addressing asthma concerns among black children in St. Louis, Mm -hmm. who are 10 times as likely to visit the emergency room for asthma-related problems. So that's definitely something she's focusing on. I think um, it might be hard to get widespread support for another massive spending bill right now. One trillion is a lot of dollars. (laughs) It is. But that doesn't change the fact that there are still real concerns with Um, lead with water quality and other issues that need to be addressed in cities. Yeah, and even if a $1 trillion package is in trouble, it seems like something focused looking at at lead abatement, or if this is something that we could use the federal stimulus funds, the cities being given on something like this, it seems like that would would find some broad uh, popularity within the public. I think that's right. And there are almost no restrictions on what we can do with those funds. So I think environmental justice and infrastructure have to be part of that conversation. We heard from Tara on Twitter along those same lines. She writes, quote, we need to focus on environmental racism, strengthen tenant rights, increase lead remediation, increase air monitors, increase and improve green spaces, promote community-owned groceries, urban farming, and farmers markets, improve sanitation services, engage in targeted enforcement of illegal dumping, and increase enforcement amongst bad actors, put mold in the property maintenance code, update energy conservation code, promote green energy, and reduce reliance on coal power. That's a whole lot of uh, things there, but they all seem to sort of fall under this this environmental and health-focused zone. I think that's something a lot of people in St. Louis are thinking about these days. I think that's right, and and it has become increasingly evident with the pandemic um, and reports previously on the Del Mar Divide and other issues that we have real disparities on water quality, you know, lead abatement, um, health issues, Um, by zip code in the St. Louis area. So there are certain areas that particularly could use these funds to strengthen their infrastructure and improve their environment. I want to go back to the phone lines. Uh, Jonathan is calling from St. Louis County. Um, Jonathan, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Oh, and hello, and thank you for taking my call. I have what sounds like a radical idea, but I think it's a real common sense idea. We're open to it. Make it. Make your pitch, Jonathan. Okay, I'd like to see the city of St. Louis invest in their youth that are graduating from high school in such a way as to help them pay for a college education in the agreement that they return to the city of St. Louis as professionals and they live here for 10 years. Hmm. I think that's a win-win that would help bolster or reverse the population decline in the city. 
Jonathan, thank you for that. That's As Jonathan says, that's a bold idea. Um, but I know there have been some cities, Anita, and of course now I can't think of a specific one, but they've sort of invested in these programs that convince people to stay or convince, as they call them, boomerangs, people who have moved out of the area to come back. Do you think something like that should or could be on the agenda here? Well, Jonathan touched on two issues that are near and dear to me, one being higher education and education in general. And the other is, I think St. Louis has a real problem with this population decline. And it's a number of our issues combined to make the city less and less attractive. And so I do think that it's important that we find ways to uh, encourage small business development, uh, relocation of large businesses, and you know population increase in the core of the city. I think that is critical. Uh, we're getting our first 2020 census numbers this afternoon, and mm. I'm afraid as those numbers continue to be released, it is not going to be great news for our region. So um, I definitely think incentives and ways to make St. Louis more attractive are important. I think that's a, a pretty bold program, and the key thing would be finding the funding for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm told that Kalamazoo, Michigan actually has a program. It's called the Kalamazoo Promise. It's a scholarship for each Kalamazoo public schools resident graduate. It provides up to 100% of tuition for post-secondary education. Anita, this gets it at kind of a bigger picture. I worry that not all of the kids who are coming out of, of some of our school districts are necessarily ready for college, wouldn't necessarily be able to take advantage of that. Um, but it seems like for those who would, Boy, if some local billionaire wants to set this up, um, it seems like this could be a game changer. Absolutely. Uh, but you're right. The underlying K through 12 system is a real issue. And is part of the reason that we see um, sort of flight from the St. Louis core. And a lot of that movement to the suburbs has been from black residents, particularly in North City, who are being presented with failing schools and crumbling infrastructure and other issues. So uh, St. Louis public schools, strengthening those schools, I think is fundamental to strengthening the city. Uh, Let's go back to the phone lines. George is calling from St. Louis. Uh, I think he has a bold plan for the area as well. George, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. I was just calling in to say I think a great idea for um, getting some funding for a lot of these projects that we want to happen in the city would be legalizing marijuana. Um, Illinois, as you all know, just recently did it, and I've noticed they're doing a lot of like road construction and things like that. So I just think it would be a good idea to get some more funding into the city. Thank you so much. George, thank you for that. Uh, what do you think, Anita? Legalizing uh, marijuana, do you think now that this has become so popular in some of the other states near our borders, could that still provide an infusion? That's a good question. Um, I, I do suspect that many Missourians are crossing the border to Illinois to uh, frequent those dispensaries there. So perhaps we could keep some of those tax dollars here at home. And with the passage and now implementation of medicinal marijuana, I think that is a step towards legalizing recreational marijuana. But I still think that you're going to meet with quite a bit of resistance for that as well. We got an email from Donovan. He had a number of ideas uh, that he he wanted to get the mayor's attention on. One of them was this, quote, make a statement that the city should not interfere with city school management, but make clear that the future success of the city will always be in lockstep with the public school's success. Make clear that draining resources from the public school budget starves the most in need children. Get commitments from the powerful city leaders to follow through by lobbying Jefferson City to protect and enhance state funding for St. Louis and Kansas City schools. And for these leaders, to coach the school's financial and property management staffs to stretch dollars. The public walks away from public school problems
problems when managers appear self-serving or incompetent. The most successful county schools have the most community volunteers. I think that's that's on point to everything we've been talking about when it comes to schools here in this area. It is. And, you know, one of the phenomenon that we've seen in St. Louis City schools over the last 20 or so years has been the rise of charter schools, which I think is part of what he's alluding to, Mm -hmm. talking about the funding, because charter schools are funded through a tax revenue formula per student, and then that's subtracted from the homeschool district. So with the rise of charter schools, which some are very successful and some have had real problems, so definite mixed results with those St. Louis City charter schools. Um, that's something I think needs to be examined in that funding formula as well. We heard from a number of other listeners. Uh, Carol responding to the lead paint issue we've talked about. She emails, don't forget about all the old school buildings and school fences that have many lead hazards. Such a big issue. Uh, Jerry writes on Twitter, the St. Louis region must address the coordination of economic development operations in the region, the allocation of incentives that can bypass the Board of Aldermen and local government approval, and conflicts of interest of the people serving on decision-making development boards and commissions. All big issues there. I want to go back to the phone lines. Mickey is calling from Chester, Illinois. Uh, Mickey, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Uh, Thank you for having me on. Um, I wanted to talk about the funding of the police. I'm actually a corrections officer in Illinois. Mm. And the biggest problem I see with the funding of the police is, first of all, there's no respect. I mean, I'm, I'm 40, I'm, you know, a little north of 40. And in my time, I've seen the lack of, the lack of respect of police go from where, you know, we actually were very happy with them to the point of now we're like, we hate them. Mm-hmm. We need to first of all start doing that. And, you know, I, I remember starting, you know, back in grade school where we would have the police come into my school when I, cause I grew up in the middle of Missouri in a small town near a military base. And we would always have the cops come in and they would be, you know, they would be our friends. You know, most of my friends that I grew up with had fathers or mothers who were in the police force. So we were taught respect from the very young age. Anymore now, it's basically like, well, we hate the cops. We hate them because anybody who has a badge is is a bad person. You know, mm-hmm. I'm taught I'm taught in my training that if you go anywhere, cover your badge because you don't know what people are going to do or how they're going to respond. I mean, first of all, let's do that. Second of all, like I said, defunding the police is the wrong answer. And I'm sure I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for saying that, but if you defund the police, then you're going to have officers who have very little empathy for doing anything because they're going to say, well, I'm not, I'm barely making more than a burger flipper at McDonald's. Why should I care? Mickey, th- thank you for that call, and I, I think it's great to hear your perspective here. Hearing Mickey talk, um, Anita, I'm thinking of, of something from one of your colleagues emeritus at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. That is the great Richard Rosenfeld, who's a noted criminologist, and his idea was that he supported exploring farming out some things to social workers and some of these paths that the defund the police are going down, but he said at the same time, we should then give a big pay bump to the police that are handling things like homicides and trust them to actually solve it and not have to respond to all these these social work calls. Is there a way that we could maybe address what Mickey is saying and still get at some of the reforms um, that so many people feel are needed at this point? Well, I think that advocates of, again, however you want to phrase this movement, we'll call it defund the police for now, it would say that that is part of their intention, is that the 
police force that it remains is better trained, better paid, and really just doing those things that are within the wheelhouse of policing and not mental health issues or other uh, issues that could be handled by other professionals. Uh, and Mickey also talked about you know the lack of respect for police, and, and I, I think that is a mantra that we're hearing from police officers nationwide. I would uh, pose the question of how do we think that faith can be restored in the police and, and trust between neighborhoods and police departments? How can that be rebuilt? And maybe it is through pulling back some of their responsibility in these areas that could be better handled by others. And so I think that that's what the proposal uh, many people are putting forward aims to do, not to eliminate the police, but actually to better compensate them, better train them, and limit their responsibilities. Anita, it's interesting. We're pretty much out of time here today. We have so many listeners who, who have called and emailed with other ideas and, and tweets, and it's great to hear everybody's ideas for this region. But it's interesting yes. that as much as we can talk about all of these plans and ideas, it seems like this issue of policing is something that the, the region is going to have to confront before we can address so many of these other things. It seems like everything to some extent seems to come back to that. I think that's right. And so this is a major issue facing both Tashara Jones and Sam Page and the region as a whole. Well, Anita Mannion, political science professor at the University of Missouri, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I have a feeling that we're going to keep talking about these issues in the months and years ahead, and, and I hope you'll come back to do it with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.